You're listening to the Cat Manager Confessions Podcast, episode 16. In this episode, I'll be sharing an interview I did with Danielle Civitillo as part of series two of my CAD management masterclass, where I interview some of the best CAD managers across different industries. Thanks, Danielle, for being a part of the podcast. And now play the intro. This podcast is for CAD managers in their pursuit for the perfect set of plans. Each week, we'll be doing deep dives into what CAD managers deal with every day as they manage and mentor their CAD team, build and enforce standards, develop best practices, and provide leadership and vision in the implementation of new technologies. With an extensive career as a CAD manager, I'm here to confess all my lessons learned, strategies, and all my project delivery secrets. If this sounds like the right place for you, then let's get started. I'm your host, Eric DeLeon, and welcome to the CAD Manager Confessions Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the CAD Manager Confessions Podcast. I am your host, Eric DeLeon. In this episode, I'm continuing my CAD Management Masterclass series by interviewing another fellow CAD manager. Today, I'd like to welcome Danielle Silvatello to the podcast. Welcome, Danielle. Hey, thanks for having me. Danielle is from the Boston, Massachusetts area. Danielle is a corporate, a corporate design technology specialist that also serves as a CAD and BIM manager, a licensed professional engineer, auto, an Autodesk University instructor, and the co-founder of VHB Ideal. And we'll talk a little more about that here shortly. Welcome to the podcast, Danielle. Thanks for having me. Yeah, what as I continue as I was going through your um you know LinkedIn and kind of doing some I'm snooping on uh on the on the internet. Um as I started this master class series, it's amazing because as I go through it, truly no CAD manager, BIM manager's journey is the same. Mm. Yours definitely um <laughs> is is a different path. And so I'm really excited. Uh, because I think you bring a different spin to this this position as being a CAD manager, BIM manager type of deal. So very excited to have you here. Um, so to get stuff started, can you tell the audience uh, where you work at, how long you've been there, and what do you do? Sure, yeah. So I work at VHB. We are a kind of mid-sized design firm um, on the East Coast of the United States. I've been with VHB for about 12 years, um, but not most of that time in CAD management. So I started as a roadway designer in Connecticut, which is where I'm licensed. Um, I worked there for about seven years in the transportation group. And then I did one year with our transit and rail group in Boston. And then for the last four years, I've been working as the corporate design technology specialist on our innovative project delivery team. And so I don't actually, you know, the word CAD manager isn't in my title anywhere, but I do manage our Bentley and Autodesk software for the company. Um, so I provide support where necessary and determine and document our best uh, best practices and standard workflows, um, and then exploring new, new CAD technology or kind of the, the ways in which um, the CAD management fits into my role. Yeah, nice. I think 
one of the one of the things that I think uh, one is it's nice to have another fellow CAD manager that does stuff with Bentley software. Um, <laughs> that a whole lot of people I run into. Um, you know, you do a lot of stuff for DOTs, I'm assuming. Yes. So therefore, the need for MicroStation and inroads. Yep. Uh, so, um, so I guess there's the big debate. I'm curious to see what you think. Uh, mm. What do you like better, MicroStation or AutoCAD? Uh, can we just merge them? <laughs> <laughs> I think you know. I always tell people there are elements from both platforms that I think um, make them um, useful and interesting. Um, you know. I think copying from a an, uh, a reference in MicroStation is a lot easier than it is yeah. in in um, in, CAD, in AutoCAD. Um, I just just this year I started using um, OpenRoads Designer though I, I hadn't yeah. been using that until recently and there's um, some more similarities now with um, with Civil 3D now that yeah. the information is stored within the documents as opposed to in separate. ALG files or things like that as Excel they were in inroads. Yeah. Okay. Sure, sure. Yeah. So um I think they both have their quirks, you know, I think they both have their strong suits as well. I couldn't I don't I I will say <laughs> I I started in AutoCAD. So, you know, my civil 3D has always been mine, right? That's my my go-to, but um that's not to, to dismiss the the um the strong suits that Bentley provides with their platforms as well. Well said. Yeah, I um, I do both. I'm I'm both a multi-platform as well, and so um, maybe not from a design standpoint. I know enough about inroads to be dangerous, but I was I would agree. Same. <laughs> yeah, but nonetheless, we you know as as managers, right? We have to set up the production at least know what the styles are, where they're at, making sure yep. it runs properly. So yeah, it's, anyway, so I just saw that when I was looking at some of your project history, I was like, ah, oh, it's pretty cool. I'm not gonna have somebody who can talk shop <laughs> there. Yeah, and Bentley workspaces are no joke either to no, set up. <laughs> yeah, like for our local DOT here, we're gonna be making that transition to Open Roads and MicroStation Connect. Um, mm -hmm. at the end of the year start training and the new project starting, I think the spring of, of 2021. Mm -hmm. will be where like new projects that's the line in the sand we'll use it i think they're going to give a little bit of grace period of um you know that transition uh, i know for sure the delay for us here in oregon is due to covid yeah. and trying to um get the help of ben bentley's helping with their workspace and okay. so we're just since it's so different right i mean mm -hmm. so different from in roads so it's gonna be exciting so one of the bit one of the things too i wanted to kind of um, ask you about before we kind of get into just the regular CAD stuff. Um, is, so you're the, um, so diversity is important to you mm -hmm. due to looking at you being the co-founder of this ideal group within your company. Um, and then you also did a industry talk at Autodesk University, which um, I didn't see, but I was looking you up. I'll hopefully, do you know if that's recorded? It is. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. So I'll probably go back and listen and watch and watch that. Um, and so I'm curious just to kind of, you know, it's kind of something unique to you, you know, at least from what I've seen that separates other CAD managers uh, <laughs> so far. Um, could you explain a little bit about um, this, you know, this group you've co-founded within your company sure. and then kind of how that, you know, translate into some of the um, AU um, talks, talk you yeah. did. I'm not, I didn't look to see if you did others, but just one. Part, yeah, so. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, just one. I'm actually prepping for the next one, though, for, nice. for this year. But um, so, yeah, I started VHB Ideal with a couple other um, coworkers a couple years ago. And the Ideal, uh, it's kind of a plan words, right? VHB Ideal. But also the Ideal stands for Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity Alliance. And um, the it's an employee resource group is what it is. So it was started, you know, from grassroots, you know, it wasn't, we had the support from corporate, but it wasn't a, a corporate initiative. Um, and I, it was just, um, the reason why I started it is because there was, oh, I guess I was identifying some holes in, as a company, you know, we weren't, we weren't really saying anything when like MLK Day came around or when um, it was uh, International Women's Day, you know, so I was seeing a lot of other companies at least saying something, you know, acknowledging these things. And I'm like, you know, we need to be acknowledging this stuff and we need to be um, just go even going past acknowledging, but then working toward how can we uh, diversify the AEC industry and, and I mean, that's what my talk was on. Yeah. You know, the the group is more about working how on how we can diversify VHB. Yeah. But um, yeah, so then um, I was um, thinking about what I could do for a talk at AU, and I was like, well, if I want this to be a good talk, it it, it needs to be something I'm passionate about, and and I could do it on on CAD stuff. But I think a lot of people do it on CAD stuff, right? It's yeah, AU. Sure. Everyone's talking about CAD, and and I said, well, let me do something that's still related to our industry, but with a spin to it. And so that's when I did, um, why is diversity and inclusion important in our industry? And then what can we do to, to help ourselves get there? And so I, I outlined a few statistics and, and some examples in which um, a lack of diversity led to, you know, poor design decisions. You look at AI and how that can be, um, skewed if you're not putting in the the right kind of information into the alg algorithms and whatnot um and then the the latter half was like um here's what you can do about it how can you get more confident talking about diversity and inclusion and um then what can you do within your companies and and just talking a little bit about starting the employee resource group so yeah, that's, nice. that's that yeah nice yeah it's well, obviously right now especially more so with the the state of the our society right now mm. all the all the injustices that we're going to so it seems like you know which is good that it's beyond um i could tell you're authentic obviously because you're trying to you know give it a bigger platform and do it on au with twelve thousand plus people um you know now to be a part of their their history of previous mm. discussions um you know it makes it pretty cool so kudos to you because i know sometimes those can be tough discussions um with people or you know to me i've as a minority, um, you know, some people just don't tend to realize that they may be offending or mm. excluding others, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but yeah, cool. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I ask all my, the, all the people that I've interviewed so far, and I really want to know this from you because you have a different spin to it is, you know, what is your CAD origin story? Mm -hmm. um, somewhere started. And then for you, it's different because, you know, you're actually a licensed engineer. Um, doing these these oversights for you know these CAD operations for the firm, so I'm curious to know what your CAD origin story is. Sure. Um, so 
it started in high school for me. I um, was going into my senior year and I was talking to my guidance counselor and I really didn't want to take physics. And so she was like, oh, I think you'd really like this CAD class. And so I took it and I loved it. And it, that was back when um, AutoCAD was with the puck on the, I don't know, I don't even know Digitizer. the terminology. Yeah, the, thank you that, yeah. yes. And you like, like had to use the, anyway. Yeah, um, <laughs> long time ago. Um, so I started with that and, and I loved it. I was like, this is great. And so then being like a very naive 17, 18 year old, I thought, computer engineering meant doing that like engineering with a computer so i yeah. so i so i went to school for computer science and engineering and i was like this is not what i thought it was going to be um so then i switched into civil engineering and then joke was on me because i had to take engineering physics so right. I, I avoided it in high school and had to take it in college anyway um but anyway so i i just I don't know what got me into, um, I guess this, I really think, yeah, CAD was really what catapulted me into civil engineering. Um, so anyway, so, you know, as, as I said earlier, I did that for quite a while. And then, um, so in 2010, well, I was started on LDD. Yeah. Um, and then in 2010, our company switched over to civil 3D and, um, got a little bit lucky because we were a little bit slow that summer. And so I took it upon myself to learn civil 3D as best as I could. Yeah. So in that way, I kind of became, um, I'm never going to call myself an expert in it. I think that's naive, but I think, you know, I got as good as I could really fast mm -hmm. at it yeah. and I really enjoyed it. So um, through that, um, and then, you know, I also uh, was doing a project uh, for a rail station in Connecticut at the time and that was for the state so we were using MicroStation mm -hmm. so that's how I got good at that um, and then like I said four years ago so my current boss he was doing this job when I was designing you know before me so he was moving up he needed someone to take his spot and because he and I had had worked together so much when I was designing and, and he knew that I was a resource that he could go to that um, you know, knew a lot about the software and how to use it, he approached me and asked if this was something I'd be interested in. And, and it, it was, um, I was, I was really interested in the side of, you know, being able to help people understand the best practices. Cause I felt like a lot of people just kind of jump in and they like, they're like, okay, well this works. So I'm going to do it. But I'm like, well, just because it works doesn't mean that's the best way to do it. You know? Mm -hmm. So let's, so I wanted to, see myself in a position where I could help other people use the tools better um, and also have a little bit of um, influence on, like I said, the, the standards and the workflows and, and things like that. Nice. Um, so with all of this, are you still engineering projects? Um, so that background has been really helpful in, in that, yes, there, I don't work on projects the way I was before, but there are opportunities sometimes that come up in our team where having the engineering background is necessary. So the most recent one I did was we actually um, took a job that our team in Vermont did um, using inroads and MicroStation. And um, 
because of the whole transition that's happening into Open Roads Designer, yeah. everyone's trying to figure out, well, what's that going to look like? What are the workflows? Um, how long is it going to take to model these things? Is it worth it to fully model them? Or should we still keep drafting in 2D? I'm like, no, model it. So, yeah. um, so it was actually put on me was to um, take the design that had been done, uh, like I said, in, in Roads, and recreate the whole thing in Open Roads Designer. Nice. So I needed to have engineering background to know, yeah, of course. you know, yeah. some of that. So, there, you know, there's that kind of stuff. We've also done some visualizations where we're taking um, very concept level designs and um, putting them into InfraWorks um, and things like that to, to help um, either with proposals or to help um, tell the public like what show the public what they're trying to do at concept level and things yeah. so some so because it's at concept level um it's not always modeled where it needs to be in order to be an easy transition into infra work so yeah. i'll be doing you know a lot of times i'm like okay i'm like half designing this project right now <laughs> so, yeah so yes i guess that was a long answer to say yes yeah. uh just not in the traditional way yeah nice um from LinkedIn, you've been doing these, you've been um, in this kind of CAD BIM manager role for like the last like five, four and a half years? Yeah, four and a half, yep. Cool. And then, so as, you, as you've as you transitioned into this new role, um, you know, I guess it's not new because you've been here for five years now, <laughs> but um, you know, what, as you settled into it, I guess, uh, what are some of the challenges that you've, that, that you run into? Ah, uh, um, and then the follow-up is, what are those actions you're taking to overcome them? Okay, uh, let's see. One of the biggest things is, is um, you know, a focus on, so we're, you know, we're a consulting firm, right? So there's a big focus on billability and then that butting heads with, well, we need time for training, yes. right? Well, you can't bill training so so getting people the right amount of training and, and and making it in the right amount of time um i think another big thing is as we grow um there's a it's uh i don't know that we are properly um wrangling everyone in so that they're on the on all on the same standards you know we have standards but then we're not enforcing them so then there's inconsistencies and and um so that can be a challenge. Um, and then any, like the software versions, going back to the Bentley discussion, that's yeah. like a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Who's on SS2? Who's on SS4? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and technically it's on SS like 13. Yeah, yeah. The, the DOTs never, never update because that's the snapshot. Exactly, exactly. And now we're being forced to because of yeah. licensing. So that's my, yeah. my latest nightmare. But um, yeah. So the actions I'm taking to, to overcome them, I would say, um, you know, one of the things is I, I tr I'm trying, I've not been successful, but trying to um, monetize the time it takes to redo work because of lack of training. You know, I want to yeah. be able to show that and to say, look, it's worth the investment into, into yeah. training. I think we're getting there, though. I, and I, I don't think I need to do that. Um, I think people are understanding that and our, our service leaders and market leaders are, are on the same page with us and they understand that there needs to be an investment in training. So that's yeah. um, been a semi-recent development towards making that a priority. So that's exciting. Um, but then also using things like um, we use Pinnacle and KnowledgeSmart 
um, to help us serve out assessments. And then, you know, through the assessments, you can have results-based learning paths and pinnacle. Um, I mean, truthfully, we haven't done a lot of the assessments yet. Um, we've piloted it on with a few teams, but, you know, everyone hears that word and they think they're going to like, we're using it to determine who gets promoted and who yeah, gets fired. Right. And like, that's not yeah. at all what's happening, but yeah. so we're just trying to figure out the best way to roll that out, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's always, I think um, maintaining high utilization is always our, it's the necessary evil because you have to do it because you want to make a profit. Mm -hmm. At the same time though, um, if you know, like if you take your team offline to go get training, that's time that they're not being utilized. <laughs> right. And they're, you know, they're billable, you know, that billable time is gone. So that means no profits. Um, right. But it's one of those, I, I think we all struggle with that because it's really tough to take, especially any production team offline to do that because again, the work isn't getting done. So you have to, yeah, it's definitely yeah, a challenge we, we all face. We're trying to rethink um, training as, you know, for ideally to do a good open roads designer training, uh, yeah. you want four full days. No yeah. one's giving me 32 hours times 10 people on their team exactly. to train, yeah. you know? So what we're trying to do now is think about how we can offer this out more task-based. Yeah. And so as you progress through the project, okay, we're going to talk now about uh, horizontal and vertical geometry and then let mm -hmm. them do it on the project. And now, all right, now we got to talk about templates so that we can Put that into the corridor you know so as yeah. they're progressing through a project hmm. teaching those in smaller segments along the way yeah that's an interesting approach kind of drip drip education yeah right? it's yeah. and it's i mean it's also like how much of that four days 32 hours yeah. are you going to retain they don't At, by I, the end of the yeah. second day my eyes have glazed over <laughs> yeah it's tough because we always do that so that's why you know obviously we always try to okay we got to use a new software get training for it so let's try to, if you can time it to like that week or two before you have to actually kick off the project. Yeah. That's never. It never happens. That could never happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Things are crazy, but yep. um, yeah, luckily for us, um, our DOT opens up spots within their internal training sessions. Mm. And so they become a hot, a hot seat, hot ticket yeah. right, to uh, be able to get into those because, you know, they're, they're a little bit cheaper. Um, and then, you know, you don't have to worry about trying to find the facility and the space at your right. firm. And so, yeah. Um, what is one of the biggest mistakes you've made as a, as a manager and how has that helped you moving, progressing in your career? Um, probably uh, early on deploying software like too quickly, uh, like without properly fully testing it. And then, um, you know, I remember one time, because it's not just CAD, it's also, you know, like Bluebeam, sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm in charge yeah. of deploying that, and we deployed one of them, and it just, it we did it in a way where it like, wasn't suppressing the user's ability to, to launch Bluebeam while it was running, so like they'd launch it and didn't realize that it was trying to uninstall and reinstall, and it just created this whole mess, and I'll, I'm like, okay, that's never happening again. So now, you know, putting in some more safeguards into our, um, we use uh, SCCM. So putting in some more safeguards into our deployments to make sure that that kind of stuff can't happen. Um, and, and I test everything to death <laughs> to make yeah. sure that when I do deploy it, um, 
I'm not going to uh, impact negatively impact the users. Yeah, we do the same thing where we try to have a um, a small alpha group, which is usually mm -hmm. myself and a couple of my CAD Power users, and then we'll get a beta a beta group, which then kind of you know some other Power users from different disciplines yep. just to mix it up to making sure we can get it across. But yeah, we've we've had that you know obviously blow up in you when you, that even the deployment wasn't done correctly somewhere something failed and then it, yeah. they launch it and it just keeps on crashing the machine. What did you do? I don't yep. know. We don't know. Sorry. Um, well, and then, and now our issue when everyone moved to remote, it's like, how do we, how yeah. do I install a 12 gig civil 3d, yeah. you know, over VPN? And the answer is you don't, unless yeah. you want to crash the company's <laughs> VPN. Right. Yeah. So, or at least not the way we used to do it. We used yeah. to, we used to um, give people a couple weeks and say, all right, you've got two weeks to do it on your own time. And then if you don't do it by this Friday morning, yeah. when you log in, it's going to start installing and yeah. you're going to be out without CAD for two hours. Hope you're ready. You know, yeah. we can't do that now because, <laughs> uh, anyway, well, we can now, but anyway, so coming up with, you know, and I'm not the expert at this. There's somebody else that does it, but I'm working yeah. with um, this other person and coming up with different ways now to deploy software so that it's yeah. using a cloud-based instead of pulling from our our um, headquarters um, yeah. and going over the VPN. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I think what, um, I th obviously I think there's a lot of positives that came out of COVID. Um, you always, I think we always have to look at- There the is, silver, there are, the yeah. silver lining. And I think part of that is, you know, it forced us all, especially if you're doing backend stuff, how are we going to do this a little bit better? Mm -hmm. um, and even if not, I mean, it's if even some of these rethinking and redoing or reassessing and reconfiguring how we do it, um, you know, ends up being going to be better for us moving forward anyway, right? Sure. And yeah. So it makes it, you know, but you got to look for those opportunities versus trying to just, you know, why us and those yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is one thing that you wish you knew earlier on your career that you know now? Um, how difficult it is uh, to change things. <laughs> Getting folks to to change how they've done something or used a certain software, I don't know that I anticipated it being as difficult as it is. Probably should have, but I didn't. Um, so it's, and it's so interesting to me because even if it's going to make people's lives easier and they're like, no, this is how I've always done it. And so I'm going to continue to. And, and so sometimes I joke, I'm like, I, I equate what we do as like being the doctors for CAD, you know, and it's like yeah. going to the doctor's office and the doctor says, well, this is what you need to do to, to fix it and to make yourself feel better. And so and then I say that and then they're like, okay. And then, you know, close the ticket and move on. And then two months later, they're com coming back with another ticket with the same issue. I said, well, did you do what I told you to do? And they're like, no, I'm like, well, what do you think was going to happen? You yeah. know? So I think that's been one of the interesting things that I've learned throughout all of this is that change is really, really difficult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that's, um, I just did a, um, uh, interview yesterday with uh, Donnie Gladfelder and he, he mentioned that as well where he's like you know the program will basically do what we wanted it to do it's the, it basically you know going back to the people part of it mm. uh, you know and trying to you know that's one thing that for all of us right it's learn you know especially if you're just managing technology but when you manage people have to deal with people that way 
you know, you definitely have to look at things a different way, right? Mm. It's just, it's, if it wasn't for the people, our jobs would be easy, but, <laughs> but we need the people, but we need the people, right? Yes. <laughs> um, what would you consider to be your CAD superpower? Um, hmm. Like if we're talking about what, what can I do really well in CAD? Um, or as a manager, technical yeah. as a manager? I'll, I guess I'll answer that in two parts. Um, although it's weird because I've been out of design now for so long, but mm-hmm. um, I was pretty good at um, with corridors, uh, okay. in, at least in civil 3D. But, um, but I, now in this role, I would say what makes me a good CAD manager is um, being as organized as I possibly can and automating as many things as I can. And that's, you know, going back to our previous point about Mm -hmm. taking as many choices away from the user and saying, just click this button and it'll get it done, you know? (laughs) So we try to do that as much as we can with regards to, um, you know, our standards and and whatnot and just making it easier to follow uh, the standards. So, so real quick, in your position, are you, are you managing, like you said, obviously you said you're managing a lot of the software, the workspaces, the, you know, all the back end stuff. Do you manage or oversee anybody from a CAD group production standpoint? Um, so I don't, I mean, no, I mean, no, I don't have any reports like, yeah. you know, but, um, we have a group of CAD leaders um, that we call, you know, maybe some some people might call power users or whatever, but mm-hmm. they're the folks that um, they represent. Mostly, it's like one person per office that has a large CAD group. Um, there's a few instances where we have people that cover a few offices, um, but f- so there's you know there's uh, it's about thirty offices, and we have. Uh, somewhere around 13 to 15 people in this group, I think. So, but we also don't have, you know, not every office has, has CAD users in it either. So anyway, um, so there's that group, um, certainly that I guess, I don't, I wouldn't say that I manage any of them, right? But I work with them and, and we lead the discussions around what are the standards going to be? What are the workflows that we're trying to document and whatnot? And, and, and then I also, they're they're the the path that we have from here's this big change that's coming and how do we get that information out to the users you know mm-hmm. we have a few paths and one of them is hey cad leaders please tell your teams <laughs> what's going on you know because yeah. you got to tell people three different ways before it sinks in so so i also want to go back ask you a question here because i've been i've been so eagle point has been on my radar and they've mm-hmm. been we've been good friends met them at AU last year and so we've been always it just seems like that my last two firms trying to get the pinnacle series in-house um, so you mentioned that you guys use that so I'm curious to know what's your for those maybe listening who have a good opportunity to ask somebody who's actually who's using sure. the pinnacle series for the learning paths assessments and then I'm, obviously that's one component of it but I'm curious in general um, how you know how how are you leveraging everything or and how much of it are you using? Sure. Um, so we're using um, the what used to be called cheat sheets, but they're now just called documents. Mm-hmm. That's probably where we have the most assets, but we also have 
we have a lot of videos um, and then and learning paths. So uh, for folks that aren't familiar with it, I, I call the documents like glorified post-its almost, right? What are the things that you would want to like write down because your coworker said, hey, you know, it's actually a, a shortcut for you to be able to do this, you know? And so yeah. we have those kind of things in the documents, but we have everything from really quick, um, hey, did you know when you open up an M text in, in AutoCAD, you can right click in there and say all caps and you don't have to toggle on the caps lock anymore. Mm -hmm. Like there's those kind of things. Yeah. Um, but then there's also step-by-step um, -step instructions for things with screenshots. So we use them um, a, a bunch of different ways. We also have a few that um, when you click on certain links, they, um, they'll, like we have CAD, we call them our civil 3D resets. So we have, what does it do? It purges out like the profile from the registry and then anything under your app data. So it, it sets it like back to a, almost like a new install. So that's the, that's the, the button that they press when, when CAD's acting up. Um, so we have one of those for every version of, of Civil 3D that we have. Um, so we, it's a, it's a really good self-help tool um, in that respect. The, the hardest part is getting people to remember that it's there. And I think yeah. that just takes, time it takes so much time but like it's just persistence um i've gotten to the point now where i i'm just like i'm just going to document it here if somebody puts in a help desk ticket that says something that i know that's already documented i just yeah. send them the link right. i'm like i'm not going to rewrite this you know yeah. um and so i think over time it starts to sink in that, that that's there um but we've also taken uh, trainings that we've recorded and chopped them up into smaller pieces and put those as videos. And then now with, now that they're like smaller videos, we can then put them into a learning path and say, okay, this is a learning path to get you through the civil 3d fundamentals course. This learning path will get you through the vehicle tracking course, you know? Um, so that's how we're utilizing that platform for the most part. Yeah. I really like your, um, I guess the post-it note analogy, that's good because really that's all, it just seems like anything more than that nowadays, people just, you know. Not gonna read it. You're not gonna read it, right? <laughs> yeah. Because we, we, we all work really hard to do these things. At, at one of my last companies I did, we were, I was hired to help, you know, re, kind of reorg the CAD department, the CAD team, the newer, make from the standards to a newer standard or just refresh it. Mm -hmm. And that was the one thing's like, you know, nobody really reads the CAD, man the CAD manual. They do, but they don't. Mm -hmm. So I decided to make, here's a base CAD manual, which is like five sheets. And then it, it covered the core stuff. And then I did everything as a little addendums at the end of it. So mm -hmm. they, like you said, like if anybody had a question, like what's the, the file naming convention? Here's a one little half pager paragraph that explains that versus go to page six of the CAD manual. For, it's just it's just odd the things that we have to um, little workarounds or, you know, I don't say tricks, but little workarounds we have to do within the different cultures of our different companies <laughs> to, yeah. get, to get information to be read, shared, looked at. And so, I mean, that's probably one of the hardest parts of my job, Yeah, honestly, is, is communicating out information. And I joke sometimes that I'm going to do a podcast, like just for internal CAD stuff for VHP. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't think anyone wants to read this. So what if they just like listen to me talking about it? Will it work that way? <laughs> so yeah. I haven't, I don't know. It's still on my radar as, as an option. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe just do, maybe, I, I guess, I mean, again, this is the thing that we're talking about, right? Luckily we have different mediums that we can use 
right? The different platforms, whether or not mm-hmm. it's a blog, it's YouTube or video, you know, doing podcasts for the audio part. Uh, but somehow, somewhere, will somebody make it more complicated than it needs to be? Or not <laughs> want to, you know, well, I'm not a listener. You got to do it on a blog, you know? Well, and that's, so, yeah. Everyone has different ways of, of wanting to learn, yeah. too. So it's tough. Yeah. yeah. Or, of course, they say, right, there's video, audio, and the written word, right? There are the main mm-hmm. things we communicate. So maybe you just do a video and then you strip out the video to the audio, yeah. like kind of like we're doing this podcast. Yeah. And then and then you have it transcribed as you're talking. So that way now you have all three forms. Which uh, actually in Pinnacle you can do. They have an automatic yeah. transcription. You just usually have to edit a little bit. But yeah, yeah cool. the option's there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Looks like you got what you need to get going. So, uh, <laughs> I tried yeah. doing something. I was I tried doing... um a CAD tips thing. And, oh, yeah. and then I used, I just went like nuts and had a little bit of fun with it. And I used the <laughs> um, character animator from Adobe oh, yeah. um, to make like a, an animated version of myself in the lower right hand corner. And, oh, and it was cool. a lot of fun to do, but it's so much work that I couldn't pump them out like at all fast enough, yeah. you know, so, so I actually <laughs> haven't done one in like a year, but I thought that might be cool because it gave people something Different. else to focus on as well yeah. in the, you know, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the um, Craig Swearingen, he was on he was on the podcast, um, the first series of the masterclass. And he says that his thing is he does a monthly newsletter because mm. he would send out all these emails um, and then nobody would read them. Mm-hmm. So then he figured, OK, I'm just going to take all these things that I would talk that I would have sent in an email in separate emails. I'll just wait and I'll just do a cat manager monthly email newsletter. And so, but at least for him, at least, again, you got, at least you guys got on the, the, you know, you guys got Pinnacle. So you guys are able to leverage some technology to kind of mm. get it there. Cause it's kind of right. Since it's a central, a central tool that everybody can access, at least you yep. can, it's live for everybody. So cool. Um, what current technology or trend are you the most excited about? Um, this one's probably on my mind because we're exploring it right now. So um, the the way we can automate now, so like Dynamo for Civil 3D, um, probably not a unique answer here, um, but that's something we've been exploring internally. And oh man, it's just like a whole different way of thinking. Um, and it's starting to click, I think. And we, you know, we have some help. We're talking with them. Apollo from Autodesk and, and but he's like he's so good at it he makes me like question I'm like what am I ever gonna get it is you know I mean I get it right I get it when I talk to him but I'm like how did you do that so fast so anyway um I I'm really though excited about uh, what we can do with that as we do start to understand it more um changing the tide from how how do how does Dynamo work and what is with the nodes and all this stuff to okay now we know how it works like what are these different ways that we can apply it yeah. to the to the work that we're doing to make make us more efficient and also I think it can help us address the issues that we have with with workflow or um, standard inconsistencies if we can yeah. again as the more you can automate and Correct. take choices out <laughs> you can standardize a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, I think only, to be honest, I think only one other CAD manager said, said Dynamo. Oh. Um, it's probably all, all of our minds, because obviously it's a great tool you can use. I think it's just, um, you know, I think, it, like for you, you're more back end. So, of course, you're thinking of 
of that. The rest of us who are front, you know, we're frontliners. Of course, we're thinking about it, but I think, I think for the ones who are leading production, you know, maybe because we're just trying to making sure that the stuff's get out the door. Yeah, um, yeah. That, you know, again, you got to step back, like you said, right? Like, what can we do to make this make make us do better work, right? And more efficient and stuff like that. Um, what are what are your thoughts on the future of CAD? Well, I think it's really exciting to see how far we've come, especially from that puck I was talking in the digitizer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, as I think about that exercise I was describing earlier, where I was doing the the modeling in uh, Open Roads Designer. And what was cool, and, and this was the first time I've done this um, in design, was as I'm creating the, um, the corridor, I'm watching it being built in another view on my other yeah. monitor. And you can just immediately be like, oh, shoot, that's wrong, you know, and go back and mm -hmm. fix it, right? It's an immediate, you can see it in real time. And and I think that, that um, it reduces a lot of errors. You know, I, I caught a lot of errors in the design, not a lot, but I caught some errors in the, the 2D paper plan design. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute, that's not gonna work if I try to model this, you know? So I think um, I think the way we can model now and, and um, you know, and I think that getting us more into into modeling. I don't know, I mean, what is it like for you? Are, are folks, um, are folks fully modeling their designs or is there still a lot of like, oh, I'm just going to draw this in 2D and like draw the contours in like what's happening with you guys? Yeah. So, um, yes. <laughs> so I, I guess I think, both or <laughs> both. Well, I yeah. think what it is, is I think as, um, you know, especially, I don't say it. So obviously like for civil 3D, right. You can, you have corridors and all the other stuff like that. Right. And for obviously for going into, cause we haven't done open roads yet. So, so everybody quite doesn't have seen those new tools, but for us more likely, so, and this is what I tell people. So for myself, I have a bridge um, technician design background. Right? Mm -hmm. so I was a structural CAD technician for a lot of years. So when it comes to drafting plans, bridges are my sweet spot. And so, but I always thought it was odd. So I believe the future is completely models, mm -hmm. plan sheets based off of models, right? Complete models, not like you said, you know, so I think there's there, there's interesting because we do the, we do the terrain, right? We do the road, and then we do the approaches to the bridges, and then there's a big hole where the bridge is at, and we do that. We do the probably the most sophisticated part of a design, all in 2D still, mm. which I'm just it baffles me. I'm like, and no, you know, I'm not saying no. I mean, it's just it's become a craft. What I call them is called your 3D eyes, right? Because people, when, the more experience you get, the more you can look at a 2D detail and see what's behind it, mm. what's beside it, how it connects. Um, and so I think that's like the next evolution. Like we're doing great with, I think, with a lot of the, a lot of the horizontal design and vertical mm. for bridges, I mean, for buildings, right, with Revit. And then now we have the roadway. We're doing good with corridor modeling and all this, all that. But we, I mean, Bentley has a couple of solutions for the bridge, bridge model part, 3D, 3D model part. I think you know, at some point that has to be addressed in a part of our everyday workflow. Yeah. Um, and the part you said was the, um, are you just faking in contours? Yes, they do because nobody takes the time. What, what, where I see it the most is the tie-in, the tie-in points. 
right? I like could have said verbatim what you were just gonna say. Yes. Right. I mean, it's yes. Like, okay. So. Or like they don't look smooth enough. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay. Well, to be honest, that's probably the most important part. Is how is the proposed going to intersect with the with the existing, right? Right. How and how is the grading going to work around a bridge abutment, a wing wall, a column? Um, you know, just and that's the part where. I mean, the people are smart, obviously, because they're able to fake fake what that would look like. Um, but it's really hard because now you can't, you know, when you cut a you know a profile or a typical section, you're missing some of that information, which is valuable to like for me for a bridge if I'm trying to understand, you know, the working with my in bridge engineer, like the um, you know help I want to say confirm like the angle of a, mm. of a wing wall. Right, and the angle, the the angle, the slope, and stuff like that, and you know we do a good job, obviously, because obviously we haven't had a whole lot of issues with that. But anyway, nonetheless, it seems like you know two things I think will evolve with the tools get there, and also with machine control being more used more and more, I think it's going to force us to get those tie-in points mm -hmm. because we're going to have to because that's going to be a part of what the um, what the client's going to expect and what the contractor is going to expect. Yeah. Um, so what are you, so what are your thoughts when I say that? Cause you, you yeah. Know, yeah. Same similar things over there. No, I, I agree. I, yeah. I mean, well, like around surfaces, we have people say, well, you know, we, what we do is we draw it in with polylines, we assign an elevation and then like that become, <laughs> then, you know, use that to create the surface. And I'm like, Oh, you just like, like broke my heart. Um, so, and I'm like, why, why? Like, well, you know, cause like it, when you just use the civil 3d surface, it's there's like jagged edges in it and it doesn't mm -hmm. look smooth and everything. And I'm like, well, you know, like, let's talk about that. Cause there's yeah. ways you can, you know, there's a whole command that's called smooth surface that, you know, use it at the end, of course, not, not midway unless you want your file to blow up. But, um, so, you know, I think part of it is just um, understand. There's, I think there's two parts to it. I think the first part is um, understanding how to make the tool work for what you want. But then I think there also has to be a slight shift in what is what should the product be like? Is it really important that that it's these nice sweeping curves? I mean, yeah. is the contractor going to build it like that? Like, yeah. You know, it, it's so obviously you don't want it to look like a mess, but yeah. let's find, okay, it's not going to be exactly the way it was when you were hand drafting it, yeah. but can we get it really, really close and then recognize now that we have um, a, a smart surface that we can use and tie with our pipe network so that we can say, okay, instead of going back and recalculating all the rims because we just changed the surface, it's going to do it for us because it's tied to the surface. Like, yeah. So, you know, spot shots and, and all that yep. is all the smarter the information that you're starting with, the, the less work you have to do anytime you, uh, you update, you know, yeah. and like how often do we change the plans often, right? As you're going yeah. through different um, iterations and whatnot. So um, I think it's, it's, it's a shift in, in the mindset around it. And then also, um, again, understanding what, what tools are available to get it as close as we can to the expectations that people are looking for. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the big, I think one, this is what um, Donnie Glassfeather also said was harnessing the, I want to say it, the, I'm kind of paraphrasing, like harnessing the 
um, the, the technological savviness and um, know-how of like the newer generations coming in, right? Because this is like, right? So is it Gen Z, I guess, how you want to call them? Mm. You know, every they're coming in as the first, you know, as the first generation, like all techno, mm. all teched out, mm-hmm. right? And so for them, you know, um, it's no big deal to go and try to learn something new or True. do it that way or, right? I mean, the learning curve is shorter, right? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And their, their, their attitude towards, you know, change and doing new things is just trying it. It's way different. Mm. Um, you know, for me, I, I, I've always been one to sure I'll push the envelope where I can because you know there's better ways and ways to mm. leverage the program ways to give us better opportunities but um, you know and again I'm not saying you know and we all have those stinkers in each generation that you know it's the way I've always done it yeah you know right and we all we all see those you're kind of like wow oh, really <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be this tech guy or tech right right lady, you know you're <laughs> like where that come from? Right. Uh, but why are you fighting me on this right now? Yeah, like, you're supposed to be with me. Come on. <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, so I think that's. I would like to. I would like to say, like you know, I think the. Um, we have, there's a great opportunity. I think where hopefully, um, those up and comers, get mentored though by the seasoned, the seasoned staff, because they're things that obviously they know how to finesse those tie-in points of those mm. contours that they could definitely teach, um, you know, the up-and-comers. And that's why I really think um, that that mentoring, you know, interdiscipline mentoring is really important. So, so important, yeah. Um, what is one lesson you wish other CAD managers knew? Um, this was a tough one for me. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I, I think we've touched on this a little bit. I said, I, I'm thinking, you know, depending on how your organization works, and it sounds like so, through our conversations, maybe a lot of our organizations are working the same way. Um, you know, I, I end up spending a lot of time proving why a workflow or a style or a standard is is better for the company. And when you have to do that a lot, I think learning good people skills um, so that you can be, have productive conversations when you're trying to, um, you know, figure out what those best practices are and, and get through the back and forth of, of people's opinions. I think having, yeah, I think it's, I think that in this role, it's more than just, I'm really good at using the program. You also have to know how to work with people um, just yeah i mean i could probably end the sentence there but work with people in order to get the results that that they're looking for and that you're looking for and, and come to a common ground i guess yeah, well said I, I think that's there's um in another interview that i did that, that was we also meant we also talked about the same thing um, yeah. you know there's this technical acumen and this business acumen and mm. sometimes that business acumen has to do with the people right being able to handle you know work with people and trying to get the best of them and being able to like, you know, kind of like you said, position why this is the best way to do it. Um, but also to the business acumen also pitch on a business standpoint, like you were talking about earlier was how can I, how can I put a monetary um, mm. value or improvement to this 
So that way I can say, hey, we're saving this much money. Right. right? This we're, and so, yeah, I agree. I mean, again, the people, it, it makes it a fun job though, right? Because no day sure. is ever different. Um, and, you know, <laughs> being able to manage perceptions, manage folks, being be able to, you know, persuade um, in a good way to be able to, and I call it, I call it drink the Kool-Aid for the greater <laughs> good, right? We're all in it together. Yep. Right. And so let's try to do a good job. Um, where can um, the CAD manager confessions audience follow you on your journey? Um, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm not, I don't do Twitter or anything like that. Okay. So yeah, LinkedIn is, I'm, I'm pretty active on there, I guess. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. And I know we've, you've, you've dropped a lot of great um, knowledge bombs on us and you shared a lot of great insights, but do you have any parting advice or thoughts to the CAD management community? Um, I, I would say put yourself in the user's shoes as much as you can. Um, when you're, when you're deploying the software, what, what are they going to, how are they, how do they expect this to work or what are the possible issues when you are, um, when you're upgrading to a new version, when you're troubleshooting with them. Um, I guess, you know, a lot of that can be summed up as, as empathy as well, but I try to put myself in the user's shoes um, and, and sometimes to a fault, you know, where then I'm like overdoing things to, to try to make it the best experience possible. But, um, and, and then I guess, as we've talked about, this isn't new, but automating as much as you can, <laughs> because if it's automated, then, you know, it's harder to, to, um, to stray from the standards like we talked about. Well said. Danielle, thank you for being a part of the of this CAD Management Masterclass. Um, thank really you for having me. Really appreciate taking the time. And um, I guess we will follow you on your journey and see some exciting stuff that you have in store for us for the next um, AU um, um, class you're doing. Yeah, great. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you found the things we talked about today valuable, I would be honored if you would subscribe and or leave a review. Until next time, continue to challenge the status quo, be the leader you wish you had, don't be afraid to step into your greatness, and good luck in your pursuit for the perfect set of plans.